Mark Cuban. Going against the norm and, and looking for people who had great ideas is, is really what I look for as opposed to individuals mentoring me. David Stern. Thank you. Those are very kind and generous words. I greatly appreciate them and thanks for having me on. Jeannie Buss. Thank you for having me. What a nice turnout. It's good to see everybody. Chris Everett. It was very interesting. You asked great questions, so thank you very much, Brian. Damian Lillard. That was for Seattle. <laughs> <laughs> Maria Taylor. Oh, thanks, Brian. I appreciate it. And your preparation shows you. Tim Howard. Well, I appreciate you saying I look forward to catching up with you again soon. Just to name a few. Welcome to Sports Business Radio. Now, here's Brian Berger. Well, thanks for joining us on this edition of Sports Business Radio. I hope you're doing well and staying safe. Michael Polisi, the EVP of Collegiate Services for Van Wagner, is going to join us to discuss how the sponsorship and media rights landscape are changing in college athletics during the pandemic. If you recall last week, F. King Alexander, the president of Oregon State University, former president at LSU, joined us to kind of give us a look inside of an athletic department and how they're adapting during the pandemic, what the future might look like from that perspective. This is a good perspective as well. I think you'll enjoy it. Michael Polisi from Van Wagner. Then Keith Foreman, co-founder of Sports Business Radio, founder and CEO of Fresh Cup of Perspective, is going to join me. We're going to look at the college landscape as well. Already, universities like North Carolina, Notre Dame, Oklahoma, they're bringing students back to campus. COVID is running rampant. UNC has already canceled in-person learning. So how is that going to change things for colleges and for college athletics. We'll dive into that on the show today. I'm joined by executive producer Brian Griggs. Griggs, how are you? Doing very good and uh, another great show uh, coming at you today. Lots of college talk, which is obviously the forefront right now. So I always love your, yours and Keith's perspective because you guys go back so far, you know each other and you've gone, been through a lot. So it's fun to hear what uh, you and Keith banter about. Yeah, it's fun to to bring him on uh, every so often. We've been trying to do these COVID roundtables like once a month, and this isn't a full blown COVID roundtable. It's not like an hour, but you know, I, I felt like until last week we hadn't really tackled the perspective on college athletics like we should have. So these last two shows, we've really jumped into that and tried to give the listeners out there some perspective there again from a college president at a big five university f king alexander last week and then michael polisi this week and you know these deals are changing Griggs. uh people don't have money to spend on sponsorships like they used to you've got to be more creative um who knows if there's going to be games played obviously the big 10 and pac 12 have already said there's not going to be fall football although i'm not convinced that those conferences might not reverse course and and actually play football but uh we'll see so we'll talk about that nba playoffs are underway nhl playoffs getting underway griggs uh what are you watching both of them actually but more nba yesterday was a fun day we've just had it on in the background the whole day and uh you know i love it nba is probably my favorite sport to watch playoffs wise so i am just uh jacked and loving all the games and had some pretty good matchups yesterday so looking forward to today too I got to tell you, it has a little bit of a March Madness feel to it. So it's like early in the day, games start. So you can kind of watch games all day. And it kind of reminds me of of March Madness. We've never really had this with NBA and NHL. The games have always started, you know, closer to prime time. But I like the fact that you can watch games throughout the day. 
Yeah, I think it's great. And yeah, yesterday morning I had my cup of coffee watching game one of the first first uh, game on the TV. So yeah, I think it's cool. And you're right, it has that March Madness feel. And then, you know, the virtual fans, there's not really necessarily a home court advantage. So it's interesting to see how these teams are going to be playing back and forth. Well, yeah, you've heard a few players in the NBA at least say that it's got that AAU tournament feel to it because they're in the bubble. And like you said, there's no home court advantage. There's no traveling. There's, I mean, other than having your own virtual fans and some branding and your logos on the court, there's no real home court advantage. So that's what's going to make these playoffs for the NBA and the NHL so interesting is that's a big part of you know, getting to a championship and winning a championship is that home court advantage of the crowd and just the familiarity of your venue and everything that goes with it. And that's lost this year. So um, who is going to win and what do you think? So who, who do you see going through to the NBA finals and uh, coming out of this thing? That's a good question. I mean, Toronto looked insanely good yesterday. So, I mean, who knows if they're they I mean, right now I got to have them going out of the East with uh, Simmons out and uh, Philly kind of struggling. So I say Toronto might. So wait, you, might. you have Toronto beating Milwaukee. Well, it's it, they're definitely in the Eastern Conference Finals. Let's say that. <laughs> Toronto-Milwaukee, that's going to be a good matchup. I think that's that's inevitable in the East. And the West, who knows? I mean, I'm, I'm curious to see what Portland does with L.A. Because if they give L.A. a run, then maybe L.A. is not going to go all the way. So I don't really know. It's too early for me to pick. I just don't know. See, I mean, it's never too early, Greg. You gotta, this is what makes you a, a fortune teller. Is you gotta, <laughs> so I'm going to go Clippers in the West. And I'm going to go Celtics in the East. I love what Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown are growing into. Uh, two of the most versatile wings and, and forwards in the NBA. They're both so young. What a great cornerstone. Uh, you know, you add Kemba Walker. I just don't think Milwaukee is going to get through. You know, if you if you said you can have Milwaukee or the field, I'm taking the field in the East. I think there's too many possibilities for upset. The fact, like we said, that there is no home court advantage. I like Boston to come through. So I'm going to go Boston and Clippers. And then I'm probably going to go Clippers to uh, to win it all. And how weird does that sound, Griggs? Like the L.A. Clippers, who have never won an NBA championship, have also you know kind of been the sad sack franchise under Donald Sterling for so long. If they break through and win a championship, that would be pretty phenomenal. It would be cool. And uh, man, they are deep. I mean, it's just like that bench just keeps bringing out players, bringing out players. And that's a good pick. So, okay, I'll make the pick. It's going to be Toronto Clips in the finals, and I'm going to have Toronto winning it. Wouldn't that be amazing? Because then you'd have Kawhi going against the team he won a championship with last year. And then the Raptors basically saying, hey, Kawhi, we don't even need you. We're going to win another one without you. That would be quite the storyline, Griggs. That's what I'm going with. I think that'd be fun for uh, for the NBA. So we'll see what happens. So NFL, uh, you know, they seem like they're going to play this fall. Gosh, we're only a month away from the start of the season. No preseason games roll right into the regular season. Uh, training camps are open. Um some teams have come out and said, we are not going to have fans. Others have said, we're going to have like 25% capacity. It's going to be interesting to watch that. But as I've said all along, the NFL is going to give it a go. And anyone who thinks they're not going to give it a go is, is crazy, no matter what happens. Even though they're not playing in the bubble, and we've seen that non-bubble environments like Major League Baseball, who... You know, now the Cincinnati Reds have COVID in their locker room after the Cardinals and the Marlins already have had it run through their locker rooms. 
Uh, NFL is going to give it a go, but it's going to be interesting to see how that all shakes out, Griggs. But if there's no college football or not as much college football as we said last week, NFL is going to have enormous ratings. Yeah, I mean, you think NFL is king anyways. Think about if they're the only thing on, it's going to be insane. And like you said, NFL, it's too big of a giant. There's too much money on the line. I 100% think they're going to play football somewhere in some form or another. Uh, but how weird will it be having you know fan bases like Green Bay and Kansas City where they're always sellouts, only having 25% of the fans? That'll look kind of weird. Yeah, and again, some teams have already said, that, you know, there's not going to be fans in attendance at all. And, and keep in mind, you know, with the NFL, they are one of the rare, if not the only entity in sports. They make so much money from TV that if they don't have fans in attendance and they don't have all the ancillary revenues from having fans in a venue, they're still going to make money. That's how much money they make from TV. So if it just becomes a, a TV event, a made-for-TV game, the NFL is still going to be okay. They're not going to make as much money as they've made in the past, obviously, but they're not going to be in the same position as the NBA, the NHL, Major League Baseball, Major League Soccer, where you really, really depend on those revenues coming in from fans and attendance. Yeah, you're right. And there's going to be even that many more people watching. Like we were saying, if NFL is the only thing on and the only football around, it's going to just quadruple probably in ratings. So that's good for their advertisers, too. It's been interesting to watch uh, Tom Brady in Tampa. You know, they're saying he's he's looking really good in camp. Obviously, he's got some weapons around him. He's playing in warm weather. So, you know, he doesn't have that cold weather that he's going to have to worry about. This reminds me a lot of season one in Denver for Peyton Manning. I just feel like Brady has a chip on his shoulder. He wants to show that he can win without Belichick. And I don't know if they're able to get through a season. I think Tampa is going to be pretty good. Yeah, I agree. I mean, Brady's just too good to not take a team and make it something. So I agree. And you're right. Being the warm weather, that always helps a, a position like a quarterback where you're throwing and moving your arm constantly. Warm weather is going to always benefit. So, yeah, it'll be interesting to see. I'm glad we're going to be seeing probably more Tampa Bay games. So that'll be fun to watch, too. But, yeah, I think they're going to be a tough one to beat. Anything else on your uh, your radar that you're checking out sports-wise? Well, I've been into golf. I mean, I've been watching a lot of golf, so it's fun to, to keep those majors coming. It's so weird that the, like, the Masters is going to be November 10th or whatever it is, and that's going to feel so weird watching it before Thanksgiving. But uh, yeah, golf's probably been my big one. There was a tournament uh, amateur down in Bandon Dunes this last week, so that was kind of fun to watch that too. Yeah, and we did our show on Bandon Dunes about six weeks ago, so if you haven't heard that, uh, listen to that show. But yeah, that was fun to watch, and uh, you know, no fans in attendance for that. The Masters, Augusta National, came out recently and officially announced no fans in attendance. But as we've talked on this show several times during the pandemic, golf is a made-for-TV sport. And it really doesn't make that big of a difference not having fans there. It still looks great. So, you know, and you can social distance pretty well in golf. It's a non-contact sport. So as I've said many times, I think golf is as well set up as any other sport in America or in the world to, you know, make it through a pandemic and still at least be able to uh, get that TV money. All right. Coming up next, Michael Polisi, the executive vice president of collegiate services for Van Wagner. He's going to join us. We'll take a look at the sponsorship and media rights landscape. How is that changing? What does it look like for monetizing college athletics at this point? You're listening to Sports Business Radio. We'll be right back. There's no question that live sports and entertainment events are changing as a result of the COVID-19 pandemic. 
To ensure a strong recovery that keeps fans safe and engaged, sports venues are reimagining game day with Boingo's 5G connectivity solutions. Boingo Wireless helps partners across the NFL, NBA, MLS, and NCAA redefine the in-venue experience with 5G-ready cellular and Wi-Fi 6 networks that power new, touchless technologies. From contactless ticketing and security and in-app food ordering to IoT robotics for cleaning and maintenance, Boingo's backbone of wireless connectivity makes new stadium use cases possible. Choosing a digital transformation partner you can trust is key to achieving fan experience goals and following rigorous health and safety protocols. Boingo is the largest operator of indoor wireless networks in the U.S. They help world-class venues navigate a complex and ever-changing technology landscape and have done so for 20 years. I recently had Austin FC President Andy Lochnane on Sports Business Radio. Here's what he had to say about Boingo, Austin FC's 5G partner. A relatively competitive process led to a relatively easy decision. The decision to go with Boingo was one that came with a lot of comfort and confidence. Now more than ever, staying connected is what matters most, and Boingo makes it all possible. Our thanks to Boingo for their continued support of Sports Business Radio. If you need a trusted partner for your network and digital transformation needs, look no further than Boingo. Learn more by visiting boingo.com or emailing sbradio at boingo.com. That's sbradio at boingo.com. My guest is Mike Polisi. He is the Executive Vice President of Collegiate Services for Van Wagner. You can find them online at vanwagner.com or on Twitter at Van Wagner. Mike, thanks for joining me on Sports Business Radio. How are you? I'm doing great, Brian. How are you? I really appreciate the chance to be on here with you today. Yeah, no, I'm looking forward to your perspective. And uh, you're in an industry where the landscape is quickly changing and uh, let's start by having you give our listeners an overview of what Van Wagner does, just for those who may not be familiar. Yeah, absolutely. Happy to do it. And by the way, I'll apologize on the front end if you hear some rumbling in the background. That is the roller coaster that we're all riding right now. <laughs> um, <laughs> it is, it's a crazy time, my friend. But, uh, you know, it's funny, Brian. So many folks in the college industry think of Van Wagner as this new company. Um, and certainly while it's true as it relates to our collegiate multimedia rights business you know van wagner has been a family-owned business for for nearly 50 years Uh, and i always point to that history because it is so relevant as it captures really our culture our mission and you know our values and who we are every day and and not to bore you with this but it's really interesting i mean richard chaps our founder was a new york city cab driver Uh, at the time he entered the world of billboard outdoor billboard advertising and, and he went on to build a company that became the world leader in, in out-of-home signage and built the largest uh, privately held out-of-home company in the country, which was ultimately sold to Outfront Media back in 2014. Uh, and I say that, the reason I really do tell you that story is because the amazing thing about it is the idea of this, this New York City cab driver, you know, taking these blank walls and, and, and turning them into canvases and really changing the dynamic of brands, uh, transforming the cities where they were located. Richard's largely, largely uh, responsible for the transformation of Times Square. Uh, and then to go and build this successful business from it really speaks volumes to, to, to our entrepreneurial spirit. But to describe who we are and what we really do is I always like to go down to our three core specialties and principles is we advise, we create, and we sell. 
So from the advice uh, component, the, the brains of the operation is our team advisory group. And they work with leagues and pro teams and brands uh, on the valuation of assets, on asset architecture uh, and, and the creative components of that. And as you can imagine, are incredibly busy right now as teams and leagues are trying to figure out new inventory and what the value is of that. So they do a great job on that end of it. From a creative component, Van Wagner's production is truly uh, a full-service sports entertainment production unit that that creates the best live experience for the biggest sporting events in the world. Um, so we are we've we've done all of the uh, audio and video components of in-stadium, in-venue creativeness for the the last 35 Super Bowls, uh, the college football playoffs, the Final Four, the Kentucky Derby. The, the list goes on and on. Uh, and if you actually watch this year's NFL draft, it was Van Wagner Productions that really brought about 80% of that to life um, from the cameras in the GM's homes and the coaches' homes, you name it. They pulled all of that together with on-screen graphics, the entertainment com- com- components, excuse me, and really created what resulted in being the most watched draft in NFL history. And, and you know, when we talk later, I'm sure about pivoting and, and, and what we've done in the industry, they've been a really interesting story because they've taken that technology and have brought it to corporate America and we're doing conferences and, and national trade shows for a bunch of brands. So it's, it, that's been pretty neat. But ultimately what defines us is we sell. So our Dorna group uh, is, which is really the leader in, in television, visible signage sales for 200 plus properties. You know, if you turn on one of the six, seven or eight major league baseball games, you might be able to find on television tonight, um, home plate signage, third base signage, you name it. Uh, Dorna sells that, uh, the center court signage, that you could see tonight on an NBA game. That's many, many of those units are sold by Dorna. And we also are the creators of the all state field goal net program. So while we were this out of home business, Richard also started to put together because he knew the sale was coming probably a year or two prior and wanted to build a sports agency. And I had prior to this had been a partner at Nelligan sports, which is another multimedia rights company, which like so many others sold, sold to Learfield IMG. Um, I launched, I was launching a multimedia rights company. And as opposed to doing it on my own, I found a home at Van Wagner because of all of those other solutions that I just described. So we had an opportunity to come in as a collegiate multimedia rights partner, but also provide solutions from an enhanced marketing perspective uh, for our clients. That's a lot of good stuff. And, you know, it's funny when you mentioned like the NFL draft and things like that, I would bet most people don't know that Van Wagner was behind some of the innovative technologies that were being used and and things like that. So I'm glad you shared that with our audience. I want to cover a few basic areas with you. One, you know, like we said at the beginning of the conversation, the world has been tipped upside down and, and there's a new normal so when I look at the college landscape and, you know, obviously the pro landscape too, media rights are changing. And, you know, if you look at something like March Madness that didn't happen, or you look at the Big Ten and Pac-12 canceling fall football, what happens to the void that is left by the media rights that won't be fulfilled? You know, if, if you are a company that, that simply, and don't get me wrong, of the games are important. They're critically important. But if what you are selling as a company are just the assets 
and the inventory, and you've lost your way a little bit about what the true value of an association with college and universities delivers, the, the authenticity it can deliver, the credibility it can deliver, the enhancement to your brand and help you sell any product or service um, that, that you represent. If you understand that, then you look at this 365-day-a-year platform that you can deliver to corporate America. It's going to look different, and you better be creative. You better, you better have some of that entrepreneurial spirit that, that helped transform Times Square that I just uh, talked about earlier. But if you take that mindset, you create other assets and vehicles to try to drive value back to your corporate partners. I mean, you have to, you know, it's, it, it's funny, Brian. I think the biggest transformation that is going to happen is the structure of partnerships, is how college sports is going to conduct their business, is how universities are going to conduct their business. It's how multimedia rights are going to conduct their business. Um, and in some ways, change isn't always bad. You know, I think this is a reset opportunity to get back to what's critically important and why college sports are important and what the meaning of it is and what the goals of it are to develop leaders, right? The future leaders in our families, in our, in our schools, in, in our companies, in our country, they come from college sports. So if you know all of that and you believe in all of that, and you're not so tied up in the moment, but in the long journey that college sports will continue to be. may look different, but it'll continue to be that way. You can get through these things together. And, and that's the mindset that we've taken, you know, in, in everything that we've done since, you know, since I was on a plane on March 12th, flying back from uh, conference basketball tournaments in Las Vegas to New York, trying to get home. So what might a reimagined partnership look like? I mean, you know, you just said a mouthful there and um, there is going to be a new normal. There's going to be a reset. If you're advising a university, how are you advising them to reset and reimagine what they're doing? You know, there was there was such a need for dollars and they're still there and they still exist. But the dollars started to drive the deals as opposed to the total value of, of an association with your multimedia rights and what they mean. I, I'm going to take you back on a little bit of a trip. I started my career. My first 10 years were working on college campuses at Rutgers University and the University of Maine. And that's before multimedia rights companies had emerged. And back then, multimedia rights and sponsorship sales were all part of the external wheel for the university. And, and because of this emergence over the last you know, 20, 30 years and, and the high rights fees that companies started to pay, that was driving every decision. The dollar, the deal was driving every decision as opposed to what are the long-term values that if you work with a multimedia rights partner together, how can you deliver additional value? What I mean by that is the structure of your deal points. If you are truly partners as opposed to a check casher, Right. If your multimedia rights partner is is not just writing you the check and now in this mad scramble to to generate enough money to pay you to pay their bills and to make a profit. When those two things aren't aligned and you're running in separate directions, you don't have an opportunity to really deliver the full value that a company can bring back to the institution. 
how does somebody in a specific business category, how can we obviously generate revenues from them through sponsorship and advertising? But what are other vehicles that can be presented? How do we create internships out of it? Right? How do we create strategic partnerships across campus out of it? Are there philanthropic initiatives that, that jive with the institution and what the core mission and values of the foundation of that company are? The model that has existed today lately doesn't, doesn't inspire that kind of collaboration because everyone is trying to just grab the dollar. And I think that fundamentally is what schools need to look at is how do, you, how do you outsource? Because there's un, immeasurable value to outsourcing with a professional company that knows this business and knows how to sell and has, has different resources and scope and, and, and breadth of services that they can deliver to you. But do it so that every decision, every expense that's, every dollar that's spent, every person that's hired, every deal that's signed is aligned with everything else you're trying to do as an athletic program. And that means that the financial model has to change. And you're already seeing it. You know, Brian, you probably, you, you've probably heard a lot about this, but other folks in our space are renegotiating their deals right now. Right. They're trying to get back to, to revenue share and whatnot. Um, some of it is for survival uh, or to improve their bottom line. But we created our company that way. That was our business model at Nelligan. It's our business model at Van Wagner because on my senior leadership team – of nine people, seven of us were former athletic administrators. So they understand what the needs are when you're sitting in those seats. So that's what we've tried to build. And I think ironically, you know, what used to differentiate us, I think is going to, uh, I think there's going to be more people falling in line with the kind of model that, that, that we advance. I'm a visual guy. I like case studies. Is there a school that you work with that is operating as you describe in the new normal or someone that you're advising who's heading in that direction that you can share with us? Well, sure. I mean, if you look at um, pretty much every one of them um, and some of because of our business model and our ability to not just sell assets, but sell an association with the, the, the institution across campus. You know, we have we have recently signed some game changing deals. You know, we have signed a healthcare partner at, at William and Mary that rivals many power five healthcare deals. Why? Because of collaboration with the athletic department, because of collaboration with the campus leadership on providing better student health services and care for their students across campus uh, by creating, you know, creating some protocols, some healthcare protocols for club sports and intramurals and things that didn't exist. So looking at this this business and this opportunity to go back to what's most important to the institution, right, which is providing education and the best services for their students as a whole. And, and looking at a category and saying, how can we deliver more value in healthcare that way? Obviously, what we just did, you know, the Georgia State naming rights deal right. is another example. You know, you talk about collaboration from, from President Becker, um, you know, all the way to Charlie Cobb and the rest of their leadership team there. That was total institutional collaboration. Um, we're really proud of the success that we've had at Georgia State, whose rights were held by somebody else prior to us getting there four years ago. And excluding this naming rights deal, we had increased their gross sales fourfold and, and did that in four years. And, and it was a very well-known and established company that had those rights. And 
the way we were able to be so successful was twofold. I think we know how to sell um, the brands that maybe aren't filling up their stadium with 90,000 people on a Saturday afternoon. But most importantly, we have a we have a partnership model with our schools that encourages the engagement for the institution. Every deal that closes, they make money on. Right. If that's if that's what's happening every time a decision is made, whether it's saving on an expense, whether it's making an investment together to grow revenues or whether it's actually closing a partnership and thinking about it differently as opposed to radio spots and signs. You're only going to get that engagement from the institution if there's a financial incentive to do it. So our schools take, you know, back in the day, if you went back, heck, if you went back 12 months, uh, you know, nine months, let alone the last 20 plus years, many times those decisions were harder for an AD to make because somebody was somebody was waving a check at them. I contend that that might be a better deal today. But over the course of the next 10 years, it's not going to be a better deal. And I think you're going to see more and more institutions get back to that. So last week on this show, F. King Alexander, who's the president at Oregon State, he used to be at LSU, he really broke down an athletic department's budget for us, and, and we overviewed the college landscape. And a few of the things he said, one, uh, you're going to have about 12 or 15 universities who are going to be the haves and who make money with athletics, everyone else is going to be challenged with their budgets. And you could even see some universities, including in the PAC 12 that are looking at 30 year loans and bonds and things like that. So when I look at what could be ahead for college athletics and you see that money is going to be at a premium because if there's only 12 or 15 schools making money and the others may have to take out loans, how, Help me figure out what this looks like from your perspective. Well, I think it goes back to how do you run your business and and, and not running your business um, based on what somebody else is, but running your business based on who you are. You know, some would argue, you know, you go back 30 or 40 years. I'm sure there's some some, some long time retired athletic directors who would say there's not a revenue problem. There's an expense problem. So, so how do we more appropriately spend the dollars based on who we are? Because ultimately, the real value it goes back to is providing a great experience and education for student athletes. Yeah, is the, is the waterfall in the locker room really cool? Sure, but does everybody need it? Right. You know, if you go back to the core principles of what this is supposed to be about, and you're willing to look at yourself in the mirror and say, we can be great, but we can be great here. And how this is who we are, and this is why we're different. Doesn't mean the the, the folks with all the money are better, because I can make a strong argument that they're not. But in understanding who you are, and running your business appropriately, and being focused on on the welfare and and the well being of your student athletes, you'll get there. It's just going to look different. You're not gonna you're not gonna have you may not have head coaches being paid, you know, at at the group of five, you know, and certainly the FCS level. Like like power five coaches are paid, you know, um, there's a lot of differences that need to make into the structure of, of who we are. I hope I hope I'm going to put on my former athletic administrator hat on. I hope it's not at the expense of sports, but I tend to think that some of it will be. Um, but I hope 
you know, I hope the wrestling programs and the soccer programs and the track programs, I hope that they continue because again, they do much, much more good. They might not, they might not be able to generate a whole lot of revenue in some ways, but they certainly do a lot of good from an institutional value perspective. So someone like you who does generate revenue for your clients or helps them generate revenue, you know, you see Stanford cuts 11 sports a few months ago for the sports that you just mentioned, soccer, lacrosse, golf, water polo, things like that. They're not football or basketball. Is there a model where they're a club sport or where a sponsor says, hey, I'm sponsoring the soccer team this year. I'm sponsoring the water polo team this year and allows those secondary sports to continue to compete at the collegiate level. I hope so. You know, the thing that a lot of us forget is college sports, even at the largest level, right? Um, you know, it's it's a local and regional deliverable. You know, while Alabama is certainly a national brand, there is nothing like Alabama in Tuscaloosa and Alabama. Right. right. And what you find is 85 to 90 percent of your corporate partnerships are coming from your immediate community. Um, so with that in mind, there becomes a much better opportunity to do that, to do what you just discussed. If you can work again as partners with your institution and figure out how a platform of, of wrestling or swimming or whatever the case might be can deliver value back to that company. You're still going to have to give them some exposure in the footballs and the basketballs of the world, but can you put them over the top and create something very special um, that resonates with a, with a, a local company? There's a chance. It's most likely going to be fundraised, though, out of, out of corporate, excuse me, out of, of philanthropic gifts. Hmm. Yeah, it's going to be interesting just because, you know, I worry going forward about those secondary sports because, you know, as we discussed last week, and, and most people know, football and basketball, especially football, fund the rest of the athletic department. And if you don't have those funds coming in, then you worry about those secondary sports. No, you do. And it goes back to what I said earlier about how universities have to think differently. You know, the, the thing that really has always defined, you know, my career and my team's career, Mark Donnelly, who's our senior vice president. Um, in charge of all revenue for us. And, and I worked with Mark for 20 plus years. He was a partner at Nelligan as well as Mark Devine, who runs our campus wide group and, and so many others on our team. We've always sold campus wide deals. And a campus wide deal doesn't necessarily just mean a sign in the Alumni Association. It is taking the concept of pouring rights. And so many universities are missing on the deliverable of the value of their business associations. You, you know, they for some reason, they all think it's OK to do it with a Coke or Pepsi deal. Right. And and those folks are paying to be a part of the program and to get the business on campus. Um, and the RFPs meet the state procurement guidelines because it is all transparent and written appropriately. There is no reason that you can't take that same mentality to banking, whether it's, you know, the marketing services or treasury services, healthcare as I mentioned before, insurance office supply print there is a wealth a wealth of revenue that is sitting out there that corporate america will spend on if they have an understanding that they're not just getting the business on campus but they're getting the platform to market themselves in, in an authentic position as the official x of that institution they didn't just buy the name the school actually blessed them they gave them their housekeeping seal of approval 
by vetting their price, vetting their service, vetting their business practices, and, and saying, yes, we want to do business with them. And those companies will pay not for the margin on the business on that campus. It's to let their constituents know, and you watch that business grows exponentially. And those are dollars sitting out there that could be found and designated towards a ton of priorities from the athletic piece to other educational institutional needs that we've done really well. You know, that, that William and Mary partnership I just discussed, and we've done countless number of deals like this over the years in all of those categories. We've just closed a, an office supply deal at, at Jacksonville University. You know, we've done healthcare and banking deals at Santa Clara and, and LMU and Pepperdine. So maybe not from a fan attendance perspective, the biggest brands, but brands that have alumni and students and a community and faculty and staff who are just as passionate about them, who believe in the messaging that comes from those institutions as much as any power five school. And if you combine that with these business opportunities, there's revenue sitting out there that, that, that institutions can really take advantage of. We currently have 30 million unemployed people in the United States. Uh, a lot of businesses look very different today than they did in March. I know it's not one size fits all. I hear what you're saying today. But in general terms, are you seeing companies tighten their belt on ad dollars? Are you seeing companies tighten their belt when it comes to media rights? You know, it, it, it's been really interesting. I think the biggest hesitation so right now has been uncertainty. So not knowing, is there a football season or when is the football season, as opposed to do we want to spend money um, on sports? So I, I guess you really need to look at two things, Brian. Number one is, is the incredible role that sports plays in our society and how much we all cling to it. I go back to that NFL draft, which was broadcast on Thursday night, prime time on network television. It was on ABC. That's the time slot. For us old folks, where we watched Seinfeld and Cheers and Friends, the best programming in TV, and ABC put the NFL, not the Super Bowl, not a playoff game, they put the draft on that time slot, which speaks to the incredible interest that we have in sports. So take that. Number two, take the audience, which I firmly believe with every fiber of my being, that college sports delivers the greatest platform because of the value of the constituency. Um, take that piece and the passion that comes with it. So college sports within that, that sphere can deliver the best value for you. And then add in this third component. Look at the history of this company, every, this country, every time we have had an economic downturn. You know, they're the companies that spent money in advertising. The companies that got more aggressive during that time thrived and got out of got out of the doldrums faster than anyone else so yes we're finding people are spending they're just hesitant on not knowing what it is that they're buying right now but you know when you look at you know major league baseball one of the things i do in addition to running our multimedia rights business there's a there's a great uh qsr called jersey mike subs which was started by a dear dear friend of mine in my hometown and we actually negotiate their sponsorships for them you know, in the space. And, and they were asking about a specific team. Hey, can we get there? Can we get a home plate signage at, at a team? You couldn't. It sold out. 
you know, our biggest challenge for our Dorna team right now in selling that TV viewable signage is there's no inventory. And so people are actually paying more to be able to get, get some of that inventory. This process of coming up with mate goods that all the pro teams and us and we're doing on the college side, the creativity coming up with, you know, whether it's virtual signage or, or digital campaigns or virtual 5K, whatever it might be, people are embracing. So I think you're going to see assets change, but we're finding people want to spend their money because they know it works. Now, will ad budgets go down? Of course, they're going to go. I mean, how can they not go down with the economy being what it is? But I'm bullish that the percentage of their dollars that are being spent on sports will actually increase. So before I let you go, tell me how you personally are navigating through this. I mean, a lot of the executives I've spoken with, we're all working from home. We've got our home office. We're doing lots of Zooms. Uh, how has your routine changed? Um, it's funny. You know, I'm a guy who spent 125 nights on the road a year. Mm. Um, so I'm not sure my wife is thrilled that I've been <laughs> <for> straight months. <laughs> But, but my, my world has changed, and I've never been busier because we've had to work with our university partners. We've had to work with our broadcast partners. We have worked with our sponsors, our vendors, on how do we navigate all of this together. So I am on more Zoom calls than you can ever imagine. We really pride ourselves on training our sales team and our marketing coordinators. So we have done more in terms of training to help get them through this. Let's be honest. In our industry, we have a lot of young folks you know, this is their first or second job and they've never had, I've never, this old guy's never faced anything like this before. They certainly haven't. So helping them get through this and navigate this through this has been a really important part of our time and how we spend together. The craziest pieces, when we all step back, we, we have a, we have a partner's Van Wagner call, you know, every Tuesday at 11. Um, we've never communicated better than we do right now. I have a VP call every day with my team, every day, because of the changing, quickly changing landscape. They'll tell you we've never communicated better. And I think our sales team, while we haven't been able to shake their hand or give them a hug, um, will tell you that they feel more connected to us now because of, of the crazy new way that we all live. So it's changed a lot, but I think in some ways it's probably changed for the better. Yeah, I think there's some silver lining in this and some new best practices and innovations coming out of this. And, you know, much like 9-11, which was totally different, but we just, there was a new normal. There was a reset. There were a lot of things, you know, you go to an airport and it's a different protocol and a different experience. And I feel like, you know, whether it's having our temperatures taken at a venue or contactless things going forward or some of the things you've mentioned during this discussion today, it's going to be a new normal, but I think we all might be better off for it. Yeah, if you're willing, if you're willing to have an open mind um, and, and willing to change the way you do things and realize that being set in your ways isn't always the best way, we'll, we'll all be okay. We'll all be okay. Um, I'm really positive of that. Mike Polisi, he is the Executive Vice President of Collegiate Services for Van Wagner. Again, you can find them online at vanwagner.com or on Twitter at Van Wagner. Mike, keep up the great work. Thanks so much for providing this insight and perspective, and uh, let's catch up again soon. Brian, thanks so much. I just want to thank you for the service you provide. This is this is a wonderful tool, and I listen all the time, um, and I'm honored that you asked me to be a part of it. Well, I appreciate that. Yeah, I, as I say all the time, 
you're my audience. I want the senior executives in this industry to listen to this show and to hear from others who work in the industry too. So I appreciate those kind words. Thanks, Brian. Have you're, a great day. You too. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. We'll be right back. CBDMD is the official CBD partner of Sports Business Radio, and I couldn't be happier. Their products have made a huge difference in the quality of my life, my daughter's life, even our dog's life. I was having a difficult time sleeping, and CBDMD CBD PM drops and capsules have allowed me to sleep better than I have in years. CBD Freeze has been amazing for my daughter and I after we work out. Even our dog loves CBDMD's soft shoes. They've got a great array of products. And one of the things I like the most about CBDMD's products, they're all THC-free. That was very important to me. CBDMD is also the first American CBD company to be publicly listed on the New York Stock Exchange. Check them out under the ticker symbol YCBD. Athletes such as two-time Masters champion golfer Bubba Watson, former NFL wide receiver turned broadcaster Nate Burleson, and UFC athletes Daniel Cormier and Chael Sonnen use CBDMD's high-quality products. Change your quality of life just like I did. These are anxious times for a lot of us, and CBDMD's products have helped me sleep better and just live a, a higher quality of life. Visit CBDMD.com and enter the promo code SBR to save 25% off at checkout. That's CBDMD.com, promo code SBR. My guest is Sports Business Radio co-founder and founder and CEO of Fresh Cup of Perspective, Keith Foreman. Keith joins me pretty regularly on Sports Business Radio, and we reflect on many of the things going on in the sports business world, and he's joining me now. Keith, how are you? I'm good. There's like a fresh cup of perspective every hour right now, it seems like. <laughs> On everything, too, right? Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if this situation's ever been more fluid than the situation we're in now. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you really can't plan for anything because it changes on a daily basis. Yeah, the college football thing has just blown everything up. Yeah, so let's start there. You know, last week, if you listened, F. King Alexander, the president of Oregon State, former president of LSU, was on the show. And, you know, I thought it was really an interesting perspective from a big five school president and, you know, someone who's heavily involved in these conversations and, you know, kind of saw the the big end of the spectrum at LSU and now operating, you know, more of a deficit at Oregon State in the Pac-12. But, my God, Keith, it's the haves and the have-nots in well, college football. Also, yeah, and from his perspective, what an unbelievable difference in in just size and approach and, and everything between LSU of the SEC and OSU of the Pac-12. I mean, what's the SEC slogan? It just means more? I mean, yeah, you think? Well, I mean, if you just look at where we are today as we record this, you've got the SEC, the ACC, and the Big 12 who look poised to play college football this fall. They're announcing schedules, you know, after the Big 10 and the Pac-12 came out and said they would not play this fall, would postpone to spring, SEC, ACC, Big 12, double down, hey, we're playing. Now the Big 10, parents, players, Coaches, they've got petitions out. They're urging the presidents and the athletic directors of the Big Ten to reconsider the postponement of college football this fall. 
that's a mess. You've got people saying there were calls with presidents and athletic directors, and there weren't calls with college presidents and athletic directors. But Keith, let me start here. Let me give you some numbers that have come out today. And this is what's going to happen when students start returning for in-person learning at college campuses. So the Daily Tar Heel at the University of North Carolina says that there's 135 new confirmed cases within the past week, 324 total in the last two weeks since students started coming back onto campus. They've actually got a quarantine dorm on campus. Only four rooms remain in the quarantine dorm. And now, in the last few minutes, we learn that North Carolina has shifted to fully remote classes after all of these infections. Notre Dame is going through the same thing on their campus. University of Oklahoma going through the same thing on their campus. So, Keith, as we've said on this show, as many other experts have said, students don't really social distance. It's hard for them. It's College football is a contact sport. When you start bringing students back onto campus, you're going to see the spread of COVID, and here we are. I just think college football is such a unique sport um, as far as the the connection between the, the the game that's played on the field and the passion and and spirit of the university, you know, represented by the the fans that are in the stadium, and when it's a professional sport and athletes are represented by a group or a union to protect their best interests and they're getting paid to do something well paid in most cases, not all cases. Um, it's just such a different scenario than college football. And so to me, I've just always kind of gone with this ethical filter. How can you justify putting, um, students, technically student athletes on a field of play when you're not comfortable putting students in a classroom. Well, to me, it just, it, it exposes everything um, that is uncomfortable about the billion dollar industry that is college football. Well, so it's a $7 billion industry. And the answer to your question, pretty easy. These numbers from USA Today. So LSU, according to its president, Thomas Galligan, could lose between 60 and $80 million if they don't play football this season. Clemson could lose up to $100 million with no ACC football. Ohio State, who makes more money in the Big Ten than any other school, they could lose $104 million. You look at a conference like the Big Ten, they could lose $952 million, almost a billion dollars if they don't play football. As we've said from day one, when you and I started this show, Keith, 16 years ago, follow the money. The money drives the decisions in sports. This is no different. So at what point is the, you know, so where do you value human life? Where do you value not knowing what's going to happen? I mean, it's, it's really something to see the medical presentation and, and, and hear the, the case that was made from a medical standpoint um, from doctors hired by the Pac-12 and the Big Ten. And from what I read, uh, it was a pretty convincing argument that kind of swayed a lot of opinions within the span of that presentation that took place last week. Compare that to whatever medical presentation was given to the SEC or the Big 12 or the ACC. And what it really comes down to is not a whole lot different from 
the way, you know, the White House receives medical information and then decides to do whatever they want. Um, there are people leading conferences and leading schools that are deciding um, not so much based on science or very much based on science. People hear what they want to hear, Keith. If if you bring a doctor in and they tell you what you want to hear, you can make a decision based on that. If they don't tell you what you want to hear, you're going to go get a doctor that's going to tell you what you want to hear. The NCAA doctor uh, has said that you know he does not see a path forward to fall sports as things currently stand. There have been plenty of warning signs about this, and you know, you and I kind of speculated on this in March. I think we're going to need to see some catastrophic situations before people are going to take this more seriously. And, you know, what are the consequences of those catastrophic situations, whether it's lawsuits or, you know, whatever the consequences are, I think that's when we will finally reach a tipping point where people will go, okay, even if it's just from a risk and, and, uh, you know, legal standpoint, we can't do this because there's too many unknowns going forward. And that's really the thing here. You know, people can talk about, oh, people are living scared and this and that and the other. This is science. And, you know, the virus controls us. We don't control the virus. That's been said many times by many people. But the people who think that there's a crystal ball here and they know what's going to happen in the future, they really don't. No and one knows. No one knows, but I think – the smart companies and the smart entities are erring on the side of caution. The problem is, and we heard this from you know President Alexander last year, and I just gave you some of the numbers of how much money is at stake in college football. People, a lot of people are saying, you know what, we got to chase that money. If we don't, we might go out of business or we're going to have to take out a 30-year loan or whatever it's going to be. We're going to go, and if it gets to a point where things get really bad, then we'll shut down, but we're going to go until we get to that point. And that's what I think is happening here. I think there's a lot of posturing going on. I think the SEC can't you know, be the first conference to shut down. I think to, to satisfy their base, their boosters, their supporters, they have to be the last. Um, you know, it's just there's there's what what's um, what's amazing to me is the fact that College football is so widespread. It's so messy. It's so unmanageable. And COVID has exposed that. I mean, it's one thing for Adam Silver to get on the horn quickly with 30 owners or Goodell or Manfred, the same thing. You know, amazingly, with all the craziness we've watched these leagues, you know, go through and struggle to get their product out there. That is that's a piece of cake. That's nothing compared to what we're now discovering with football. And um, what we're discovering also is that the existing framework, the existing infrastructure of college football in the United States of America is not very organized and really not sustainable when we're learning about all of the deficit you know, funding and spending way beyond what's, what's, what's really possible. If that TV money goes away, you're right. There is no college football or, or college athletics as we currently know it. Well, it's very fractured, and that's what we discussed with President Alexander last week. And he said at some point we could get to a point where there's 12 or 15 universities that form their own super conference, and it's truly the haves and the have-nots. And the have-nots are taking 30-year loans out. They're getting bonds. Like They don't have the revenues to sustain an athletic department, so they're, they're literally taking out loans in order to do that. In the meantime, 
the 12 to 15 that are the haves, they're paying their coaches eight to nine million dollars. They're generating one hundred and fifty million dollars a year in their athletic department. It's a very different landscape, but I think we're seeing the separation of the haves and have nots. Keith, in the last week, I'm not going to reveal who these conversations are with, but I, I talked to some sources of mine at the NFL. I also talked to some sources at the NCAA, and I will say this. The NFL is absolutely going to move forward with playing their season. We will see if at some point COVID runs rampant with a team or throughout the league and they have to shut down, but there is zero doubt that they will try and play. And I think they've been inspired by what they've seen from the NFL and uh, the NBA, MLS, WNBA, NWSL. Some of these teams that have pulled this off successfully, they're saying, we're the NFL. We do things better than anyone else. We can do this. The other thing I found out at the NCAA level, and keep in mind, the NCAA tournament funds 90% of what happens in NCAA, right? That is the way the NCAA funds itself, not through college football playoff or anything like that. It's through the NCAA tournament. Well, what I also learned this week is they're already making plans to play the NCAA tournament March Madness in the bubble. So they need that TV money. They know that they're probably not going to have fans in attendance. They're not going to get the merch, all that stuff, but they need to get the TV money from TNT and CBS. So they are making plans to play in the bubble, and that's how they're moving forward. I think it's smart on on both ends with the NFL and the NCAA. Well, I think that, boy, if you're looking at this from the from the college football or even more so college basketball size, sides, now you're really talking about players' rights issues. I mean, if if there are certain conferences willing to go forward and there are some that are not, um, and it really just comes down to one's personal freedom to choose to do whatever they want, and they're willing to uh, put put themselves in a you know in a more precarious situation without knowing medically what what the full on ramifications are, then so be it. But I'll tell you. The whole players' rights issue, I think, really is is the is the space to watch right now, especially in, in basketball, even more so than football. I mean, you just cannot hold a billion-dollar, multi-year CBS, NCAA, March Madness, you know, extravaganza um, without those really good players and those really good teams. And it's it just seems like those players probably are are starting to realize their value more than ever. Right. Well, and you're looking at players who aren't playing, whose conferences have postponed, saying, ooh, I'm going to transfer to a school that mm-hmm. is playing. And I mean, it's just it's literally the Wild West right now in college football. But, you know, as I've tweeted out a few times and as President Alexander told us last week, the presidents are making this decision. This is not the athletic directors. This is not the high paid coaches. This is not the star football players. These are the university presidents that are making these decisions. And President Alexander said the health and safety of the athletes and the coaches is the number one priority. So, you know, at least that's how the Pac 12 is looking at making these decisions. Keith, interesting news this week from multiple news sources, but the FDA has authorized a saliva test for COVID-19 created by Yale and funded by the NBA and the NBA Players Association. It's being used in the NBA bubble right now. It's cost-effective. It's worked. So, you know, we talk about best practices and innovations coming out of this. 
who knows this this test funded by the NBA and the MBPA may be something that everyone across the sports world and even just people at their homes and society can use moving forward. Uh, that would be a big breakthrough. Yeah. I mean, again, we're only what, six months into this thing. I know it seems like six years. Yeah. I mean, we still, nobody knows anything about anything. All we can go off of is the information that we've gleaned in the last few months. And that seems to keep changing. So, you know, I, I get it. I, this, it's just crazy how strong the arguments are from either side of this. And the fact is everybody's got kind of their own personal case. I mean, my own son is, is leaving on Thursday. He goes back to the, you know, university, university of Colorado and, um, you know, I, I understand the argument that some families claim their their kids will be safer in a college uh, imposed bubble and a safe you know environment that's that's created by the football program as opposed to where they are now. But that's not true for everyone. And, right. It's not one size know, fits all. No, not at all. And, uh, you know, you could argue that some programs have the have the resources to, to put together a really clean bubble environment and others don't. And others are going to treat it with with real, you know, serious, you know, rules and a hundred page, you know, uh, playbook and and other places won't. And so that's where the landscape of college football already without COVID is so just really uneven. I mean, it's a classic haves and have not situation. Well, and if you just look at this using common sense and what we have learned in the last six months, one thing is for sure so far. The bubble works. So the NHL released, yeah. you know, more results today and, you know, all the players tested 52 clubs, 5,640 tests, zero positives, zero positives in the WNBA, zero positives in the NBA. We saw MLS and NWSL go through their tournaments and, you know, be able to start and complete their tournaments. Now we're going to see Major League Soccer play in venues their home venues but with no fans but they're outside of the bubble we are going to see college football outside of the bubble we're going to see nfl outside of the bubble we've seen what's happened with major league baseball outside of the bubble and by the way keith i get a hilarious kick out of the fact that the texas rangers and colorado rockies are urging major league baseball to play with fans in the stands they have they have covid problems without fans in the stands and they're wanting fans in the stands so the, the organizations, the leagues that have played outside of the bubble, the success hasn't been nearly as good as the ones that have played in the bubble. Well, and now we have to start talking about, you know, inside and outside, literally and figuratively. So like, you know, Dallas, um, MLS, uh, F- Dallas FC, the MLS, you know, soccer team in Dallas, they had a game and allowed people into the stadium, you know, obviously socially distanced. Uh, to witness the game. I mean, I've heard varying accounts. There were anywhere from like 800 to 2,000 people that actually were in attendance. Well, you know, you have to wonder if MLS clubs and even baseball clubs are going going to go to the operational effort to open the stadium to some minimal number of fans. What is that threshold that even makes that worthwhile? What are the rules of engagement with those fans as it relates to food and beverage, you know, and that kind of thing. What's the liability? Yeah, exactly. I mean, I I can totally understand how in the middle of summer in a 20 to 40,000 seat stadium, it doesn't seem like a big deal to allow 5,000 people to sit really way spaced apart outside. 
um, when you start getting into fall and winter as that, as it relates to basketball and football, I don't know if, if, if that is possible. And then certainly when you get into like a final four situation, you're inside everything. I think there's one thing everybody can agree on being outside is simply safer than being inside. If you're with lots of people, is that that's correct, right? Yeah, that's correct. But like we said, you know, the bubbles, have worked fine, but it's because they've limited the number of people right. in the bubble. But yes, you know, again, this is all unknown, but I think we're getting into, as we've said on the show, football, you have large rosters, you have lots of coaches, you're going to be traveling on airplanes, you're going to be staying in hotels for both college football and the NFL. How's that going to work? Well, look, it's not working great for baseball right now. And if you're going to use that as the litmus test, and by the way, baseball rosters aren't nearly as big as football rosters, and the contact in baseball isn't nearly what it is in football. So I've said many times, I'm not sure how football is going to work, but the thing that may break college football is what we said at the beginning of this conversation. If you have the Big Ten and the Pac-12 not playing, and then you've got the SEC, the ACC, and the Big 12 playing, how do you get back on schedule at any point? And there's a lot of people who have said it's not safe to play in the spring either because you're playing in the spring and then you've got to come back and play in the fall. You don't have enough time off. It's an absolute mess. It's an absolute mess. I mean, I just, I, I, I just, I keep reading these articles every day and I keep seeing, and then you've got rope teams at different conferences that want to play and they're going to switch conferences. And it's just like, it's, it's, pretty mind-boggling when you really sit down and try to like piece this all together and try to come up with a you know a, a resolution for it you know will there be a, a commissioner of college football I don't think that's possible it, it's just it's a gigantic mess and it makes all the other leagues we've been tracking to this point seem like nothing right well before I let you go is there anything else that is catching your eye or that you're paying attention to. Again, I like doing these check-ins with you every month or so. Like we said at the beginning of the conversation, things are so fluid. They're moving and changing so quickly. But is there anything else that you have kind of been paying close attention to? Well, I guess, you know, the only thing I, I, I just, I guess I'm dreaming of more than anything is being a hardcore Pac-12 Big Ten guy growing up in Southern California in the shadow of the Rose Bowl. And that meaning more to me in many cases than, than the uh, the national championship, it does make me kind of curious to to see the Big Ten and the Pac-12 uh, be so aligned. Because let's be honest, the one asset they have that is kind of the envy of every other conference and school is that tradition in Pasadena and that Rose Bowl alliance. And you wonder if the Big Ten and the Pac-12 were to you know put together a p- comprehensive players' rights package and really make any football player that comes or any athlete for that matter that comes to you know attend those schools and play their sports at those schools feel like you know we've got your back you know uh, uh, um, uh, from a financial standpoint we've got your back you know from a career development standpoint from an academic standpoint that could be an interesting play by them uh, and it may force the hand of these other conferences. But again, that's just me being the Pac-12, uh, Big Ten, Rose Bowl homer that I am. Well, I will not be shocked, Keith, if the Big Ten goes back on their decision. And they feel pressured by the coaches, the players, 
And they say, you know what? We are going to play fall football. We're going to join the SEC, the Big 12, and the ACC. And then the Pac-12 is out on an island by themselves, is, is you know the only Power 5 conference that isn't playing football. Then do they feel pressured to rejoin? It's going to be interesting to watch because I think a lot of people thought once one of the dominoes fell, everyone else would follow suit. So Big Ten was first, Pac-12 was second, and everyone said, oh, it's only a matter of time until SEC, ACC, and Big 12 follow suit. They haven't, and in fact, they, they've doubled down saying we are going to play, and I think Big Ten and Pac-12 are kind of reexamining their decisions while at the same time getting lots of pressure from the players, the parents, and the coaches. I have a hard time believing they'll split. I think they'll, they'll, they either both go back or they don't. Yeah. Yeah. It's going to be very interesting. Like we said, there's a lot of money at stake. But, you know, if you go by the numbers that I gave you at the beginning of this conversation, we are seeing as college campuses reopen and even high schools reopen, but colleges, you're living there, the numbers are going up for COVID cases. And, you know, again, just the fact that you need a, a quarantine dorm at the University of North Carolina and it's full. Well, I mean, come on, <laughs> think about it. On paper, you've got people from all over the country traveling to any number of hundreds, thousand different colleges across the country from all over the country. You couldn't dream up a better scenario to spread the COVID than coming back to your campus. Unless and, it was the like, Olympics. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's the only yeah. other one that would spread it faster. Right. right. But, but you know, just the, even the non-athletic side of going back to school to a college is, is just as crazy, if not even more difficult. And again, it, the spread isn't just about you and your, you know, your ability as a strong 19 year old football player to stay safe. It's about every single campus worker. It's about people serving you food. It's about security. It's about athletic, athletic department administration. It's about coaches. Everybody is part of that process. It's not just your 19 year old you know, physical strength. Yeah, I tweeted this out this week, and I'm not going to go into naming names because that'll only get me in trouble. But I said one thing is for certain. COVID has completely exposed the dysfunctional and inept organizations in sports. And I'm sure you could say that about society in, in general, government, business, all of that stuff. But certainly in sports, Keith, I think we're seeing the organizations that are able to pivot. They have good leadership. They're innovative and then the ones who are completely dysfunctional and inept. That's right. And the NBA is a perfect example of that on the, uh, on the positive side. I mean, they, they nailed it. Their, their broadcasts have been fantastic. The games have been com competitive. You know, I don't know how much longer those players from a, a mental standpoint, you know, can handle being, you know, uh, living in, in Disney world, you know, for the, what seems like the rest of their lives, but boy, if they can make it through, uh, they have really put on a, a nice show. Yeah. And here's the dirty little secret. The NBA is looking at playing in a bubble next year. And, you know, do they have a, a long, you know, all-star break where people are allowed to go home and come back? Because um, I don't know that you get anyone to stay in the bubble for six or seven months. But everyone who thinks this is going to be over soon, I'm telling you right now, and again, I don't have a crystal ball, but it's not going to be over very soon. So if you're, we've heard on this show repeatedly from leaders who have joined me, scenario planning, modeling, Everyone is scenario planning and modeling. What does it look like if 
this current situation, the pandemic, goes into 2021? Is it just in the spring? Is it through the summer? Is it through all of next year? But if you're a good organization like the NBA, you are modeling and you are scenario planning for every single thing that could happen. Yeah, they have a lot of things going for them, um, I suppose, as well, as far as the numbers are fewer. Um, but yeah, it's this it's I mean, this college football thing again, it, to tie a, you know, a ribbon on this one, just it is you want to be you want to be entertained from a, a sports business standpoint, you know, like we, like we've always tried to, you know, take that perspective, that angle on this show. This one is a monster of issues across every aspect, television and player rights and sponsorship and, and apparel. And I mean, it's just nuts. Yeah. It's going to be interesting to see how it shakes out. And I'm sure, like we just said, everything's so fluid. It could be, Big developments by the time we do next week's show. Keith Foreman, co-founder of Sports Business Radio, founder and CEO of Fresh Cup of Perspective. Always love when you join us, and uh, we'll talk to you soon. Awesome. Thanks, B. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. We'll be right back. If you're working from home now like I am, you still need to look professional. Many of us are doing Zoom conferences or FaceTime calls with business associates. That's why I turn to my Mizzen and Main dress shirts. I need to look good from the waist up, but I also want to be comfortable. Mizzen and Main is like athletic wear disguised as a dress shirt, making them great for comfort while working from home. It's a shirt that has worked for thousands of customers, including hundreds of professional athletes like J.J. Watt and Phil Mickelson. Head on over to MizzenandMain.com and use promo code SBR to get $10 off your dress shirt. That's MizzenandMain.com code SBR. Guess what? Mizzen and Main also make super comfortable wrinkle-free pants and shorts, so you can check those out as well. Head on over to MizzenandMain.com. Use promo code SBR to get $10 off your next purchase. That's MizzenandMain.com, code SBR. Well, that's it for this edition of Sports Business Radio. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks to our show staff, Brian Griggs and Josh Blank. Thanks to our friends from Boingo Wireless CBDMD and Mizzen in Maine. And thanks to our partner, Molka Sports, for powering Sports Business Radio. Learn more about them online at molkasports.com. That's M A L K A sports.com. For Brian Griggs, I'm Brian Berger. Have a great week, and we'll talk to you soon right here on Sports Business Radio. This and every SBR podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and your favorite listening app. Follow Sports Business Radio on Facebook, Twitter at SB Radio, Instagram at Sports Business Radio, and online at sportsbusinessradio.com. Sports Business Radio is produced by Brian Griggs and Griggs Productions, griggsproductions.com.